In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to read you a little something. Something I found in my files that really made my day. And I think you might enjoy it too. The perfect pastor preaches exactly ten minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week. That dates this a little bit. He makes $40 a week, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years worth of experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. You're supposed to be laughing at this. It's okay to laugh at this. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings and all of its committees, never missing the meeting of any church organization, and he is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next town over. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of your list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain. This is one of those old chain letters, right? One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. (laughs) What I just read to you is something I, and hopefully you, find pretty funny, okay? Not because the words themselves paint an accurate picture of a reality that any of us think is reasonable or that we would want, but because they depict something that we would call outrageous, something absurd. And still, though, it resonates because it's humor and exaggeration, and the way it sets up an expectation or plays against an expectation that we have, but then says something totally opposite to that, it still communicates something about us that maybe is a little unsettling, something about us, something about churches, something, right? And this is a kind of literature called satire. Maybe you've heard of The Onion, which is a satirical newspaper, or The Babylon Bee, which is sort of like The Onion for, you know, a different sort of demographic. There's a book in the Bible that's satire as well, and that is the book of Jonah, which is the book that I'm preaching on this morning. So here's the thing. Jonah was not what you would call the model prophet. Jonah did not want to share God's word. Jonah is included among all of the other minor prophets, Obadiah, Amos, Micah, all those guys, and what's weird about the book of Jonah is that almost none of his actual words are recorded. We learn it's, it's a story about Jonah, but it, the book of Jonah is not really about Jonah's prophecy that much. Starting in Jonah chapter 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction, away from the Lord. This is that perfect pastor business, right? He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, totally in the opposite direction. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from Yahweh by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, is this going to work? No, this is already ridiculous. 
it's just funny names and old timey stuff. So it doesn't, it's not immediately as funny to us as, you know, it was maybe to its original audience. You perhaps know what happens next from Sunday school or from Veggie Tales, perhaps. A deadly storm whips up and the sailors who you would expect to be, well, cursing like sailors, right? We still have that saying. Instead, they are, they are so pious and devout. They're praying. They're throwing all of the cargo that they were going to make a bunch of money with overboard. They're like, save us. And they're calling out to whatever God they can think of. The captain goes down to Jonah, mighty prophet of the Lord, who is asleep. And he's like, how can you sleep through this? The prophet of the Lord can't be bothered to care about this. He wakes up and says, yeah, okay. I'm a servant of Yahweh who created the earth and the sea. And instead of Jonah saying, you know, I was supposed to go to Nineveh. Guys, Let's, let's change our course. Let's do what we can. I mean, I know we're in a storm, but if we, can, if we can try here, maybe the Lord will see the intent of our hearts that I'm supposed to go to Nineveh, and who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll all survive. Instead, Jonah says, just kill me. Just throw me overboard. It's my fault. And he would still rather be thrown into the ocean in a storm rather than do what God told him to do. The perfect pastor, right? The model, the model prophet. Um, but God would not be denied. Jonah will literally do anything, including die, than do what God wants him to do. And so he's thrown overboard, and instead of drowning, Jonah is swallowed up by a great fish, which is every little Hebrew boy's worst nightmare, because the Israelites were not a seafaring nation. They didn't sail. So getting swallowed by a big sea monster is like, ah, what a nightmare, right? This has gone from bad to worse for Jonah. This is like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, sort of, but for, you know, seven or 800 B.C. And in the fish's belly, Jonah finally shows some piety, and he prays this great prayer to God. But if you read this in Jonah chapter 2, he never once admits any sin. He never once says he did anything wrong. <laughs> he just says, thank you for hearing me, and uh, I, will, I, will, I will come and, and pay my vows to you in your temple. He still doesn't say anything about obeying God and going to Nineveh. Now, um, have you ever seen a dog eat something that it should not have eaten? And when it, you know, comes back up, it's unpleasant, it's gross. It usually happens on the brand new furniture or the brand new carpet, right? So Jonah gets back out uh, by this fish and it's gross and not very noble. He's humbled. This is quite unglamorous. And then we finally arrive at our reading for this morning. Yahweh says, okay, you, wipe off the goo, wash out your hair a little bit, your beard, ugh, gross, and then get up and go to Nineveh and tell them the message that I tell you. And the first part of Jonah, God just says, announce my judgment against him. Now, God, Yahweh says, preach the preaching that I give to you in Hebrew. He's very specific. Right? He's tightening the leash on Jonah. Say the exact message that I'm giving to you. Jonah was very reluctant to go to Nineveh, obviously. Well, why? Because Nineveh was a, was a city of the Assyrian Empire, and this was before they had risen to power, but they were still known as very wicked, very cruel, very horrible. And so they already had a pretty bad reputation. And Jonah figured, listen, if I go there into the heart of the beast and say a bunch of bad news to them, uh, they're not going to be very happy with me. I'm, I'm going to pay a price that's too high for that. So I don't really want to do that. 
But after being humbled to the point of obedience, Jonah walks one day into this three-day journey city. So he's like probably in the suburbs, right? He's not even in the city center. He walks into the suburbs and he gives us the sermon we are all waiting for. All of this buildup and it's five words in Hebrew. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it, really? All of that just because he didn't want to say this. And remember, this is satire. So this extremely wicked people known for their cruelty and their oppression and their injustice, they hear this, and instead of tearing Jonah apart, what happens? The Ninevites, from the greatest to the least, believe God's message and repent. And these verses weren't included in the appointed reading for today, but the king of Nineveh, the top dog himself, proclaims this fast, says everybody has to, you know, he himself gets off his throne and sits in dust, sits in dust and wears sackcloth. And he says, we're all going to fast. None of us will drink or taste anything, not even your cows, not even your flocks. The livestock get no feed. The livestock get no water. None of us get water. I'm not eating. I'm not drinking. Because who knows? Maybe God will see this and not destroy us. Right? We thought the sailors were more pious and godly than we expected them to be. Now the king of Nineveh and everybody in Nineveh turns out to be super repentant. Jonah's still grumbling and angry about that. The rest of the book, you can go read that, what happens in chapter 4. God doesn't destroy the city. And Jonah is pretty upset about this. Because, and you know why? He said, I knew you would be merciful to them. What is Jonah's deal? The point of the book of Jonah in general, by the way, is don't be like that guy. Don't be like Jonah. God wants to be merciful to everyone, including, and maybe especially, the people that we think God shouldn't be merciful to. That's not the point of my sermon today, though, so we're going to move on past that. Jonah did the thing that God called him to do, the thing he tried to avoid at any cost, and God's word worked. The message itself seemed like it was going to get nowhere, right? Y'all have 40 days, and then your whole city's going to be destroyed. You thought Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed was spectacular. You ain't seen nothing yet. Well, so that message seemed like that's not going to get him anywhere. The hearers seemed extremely unlikely to hear this message and receive it well, take it to heart. And yet, because it was God's message, it had power. All Jonah had to do all Jonah had to do all along was just believe God and say what God gave him to say. Jonah had to be humbled to the point of obedience But there's somebody greater than Jonah, somebody who actually kind of likened himself to Jonah but said, I'm greater than Jonah. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus is described like this in one of the church's earliest hymns. This is Philippians 2 verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself. He didn't have to be humbled to be obedient. He humbled himself even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus is greater than Jonah because Jonah survived somehow in the belly of this fish for three days and was vomited up on the land. Jesus died. There was no life left in him. 
He was swallowed up by death, not a fish. And he was laid in the belly of the earth for three days. And then he kicked the door off of that grave. And he rose, not in gross, slimy, like being vomited back up by a fish, but in glorious, powerful victory over sin and over death and over the devil. And he won this victory for you. And he used people in your life, your parents, your grandparents, your Sunday school teachers, pastors for your confirmation, other people in your life, sometimes saying things that sound like, I would rather not have heard that. This feels like a confrontation. This doesn't feel like me growing in faith. God used these people in your life. Sometimes saying things like Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed to save you. And God didn't feel like stopping there. God wants to save everybody. He's going to save other people, people in your life. And guess who he's going to use to do it? You. Learn from Jonah that what God wants, he gets. One way or another. Learn from Jonah that it doesn't have to seem likely to to succeed in order for it to succeed powerfully. Learn from Jonah that if God tells you to say something that sounds scary, something that you'd rather not say, it's because God wants to show mercy. It's because God loves. And let me ask you this. What are you afraid of anyway? Remember, it's God's word. It's his power. It's his authority. The success or the failure of it lies with him. And your destiny is already secure. We're going to close this service by singing what's on this banner here. A mighty fortress is our God. And that hymn ends like this. God's word forever shall abide. No thanks to foes who fear it. For God himself fights by our side with weapons of the Spirit. Were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus said is at hand for us, the kingdom is ours forever. What are we afraid of? What's going to happen to us? We started this sermon laughing had something that was absurd, right? The perfect pastor who's 29 years old uh, but has 40 years worth of experience, right? Who, (laughs) Who loves working with the youth but spends most of his time with the senior citizens, right? We were laughing at that and I hope now that we're at the very end of this sermon, we're all able to laugh or we're a little bit closer to laughing at the idea that we could somehow pay too high a price for sharing God's word with others. That we could somehow lose something that we couldn't get back that God won't repay us. We as Christians, people over whom the grave no longer has any victory, we have nothing to fear. We should treat as absurd the idea that we can pay too high of a penalty for sharing the love of God in Jesus with other people. Our eternal destiny is secure. God loves us. Jesus has gone ahead to the Father's house where there are many rooms, and right now he is preparing a place for each one of you, and the Holy Spirit testifies within us that we are children of God, and the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is one day going to raise you from the dead. So don't hold it in. Don't buy a ticket and sail to Tarshish. Just skip all of that other stuff, because God is going to use you anyway. Let your light shine. Say what he wants you to say, what he gives you to say. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.